Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Luke 14. Turn your Bibles to Luke 14. While you're doing that, let me, let's do a little comparison of church uh, the way it looks today and what Jesus said to his followers. I'm going to start by reading to you from Luke 14, verse 26. We, we basically were in these passages last week, and we're going to be there just a little bit today, and then we'll scoot over to uh, Luke 5. Most of the stuff we're doing today is in Luke. Uh, Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. Now, that is pretty intense if you start to read Scripture and you think, well, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's, that's pretty much raising the standard as high as it can go, what Jesus just did. You're going to love me more than your wife and kids. You're going to love me more than your brothers and sisters, your mom and dad. That's, that's, uh, that's taking it to a whole new level. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Then you have to love him more than everything. That's pretty intense. Verse 27, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Last week we talked about this. 85% of the people uh, in, the, in the country of the United States call themselves Christians and, and uh, say that they believe in God. And you know, if that's true, then, then the state of the church is a mess because we shouldn't have half the problems we've got because Christians ought to know better, but um, it's possible that you could be in that 85%, call yourself a Christian, and it's possible that you could go through your whole life and do that, and that your faith, however you want to define that, could not cost you anything. You, you could go your whole life in the United States and never lose a job, never lose a relationship, you know, never miss out on a promotion, never have any problem never lose your life never have any problems as a result of calling yourself a christian because um you you can follow jesus that way if you want to the problem is that doesn't look anything like what jesus called us to understand that it may cost you if you do it the way jesus calls us to it understand that it may cost you relationships could cost you a job could cost you a promotion could cost you a dear friend if you say, you know what, I, 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 my friends want me to do this, but I, the Lord is really on me and calling me to this, and they're different things, and they may or may not understand. I don't care. I love Jesus more than I love my friend, and my friend hopefully will understand. If they don't understand, I'm sorry, but I love Jesus, and I'm a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said a person would not build a building without first sitting down and trying to figure out exactly what it's going to cost to build that building, then they launch out and they do it. Verse 33 of Luke 14. In the same way, any of you who does not give up, what's the word? Everything. Everything. A person who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Should we lower the standard? Or should we do what Jesus did, which is to take the standard to its utmost level? Luke 5 shows us the calling on the first disciples, and I want us to look at that together. That's where we're going to spend quite a bit of time today. Luke chapter 5, especially verses 1 through 11, he tells us about, it tells us about the calling of the first disciples. Verse 1, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, 
with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, what you need to understand about Lake Gennesaret is that it was a pretty important body of water. It's about 13 miles long. It's about eight miles wide. Surrounding it were about nine different townships, and there were probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20,000 people who called that particular uh, shoreline home in one way or the other. Verse 3, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, it's at this point that if you're Simon Peter, the fisherman, you really want to look at Jesus, the carpenter, (laughs) and say, you know, are you crazy? We've been doing this all day long. We're tired. We haven't caught any fish. There, are, there aren't fish out there to be had today. But Peter, instead of doing that, instead of doing what probably came very naturally for him, instead of him smarting off to the Lord, what he does is, is what we really need to do. He says some very important words, and you find these in Scripture, verse uh, 5, the second part. Because you say so. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Bible says that when they did that, they caught so many fish that the nets couldn't contain them all. They had to get their buddies to come over and help them, that there were just more fish than they knew what to do with. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now you think about that, and that raises a great question. Why did Peter recognize his sin when Jesus did a miracle why did Peter say go away from me to Jesus when he recognized that he was sinful think about it Peter sees Jesus perform a miracle you would expect the normal response to that to be oh my goodness that was amazing I want to go tell my friends, come, come guys, you got to see what he just did. This is an amazing thing. That was not the response that Peter had. Instead, Peter's response is pretty unusual. Go away from me, for I am a sinful man. Why would he say that? Let me give you some history behind why someone might say that. If you've been to uh, Ignite, one of the things that we've done at Ignite a couple of times is we show something called NUMA videos by a guy named Rob Bell. Rob Bell has a great teaching in one of them called Dust, where he talks about uh, what it means to, to follow the rabbi. Here's what you need to understand about these little Jewish boys in the time of Christ. Along about the time they turned five or six years old, they would be sent off to a, a school in hopes that they would begin to... to get on a path to become a rabbi that's what every young you know in our culture today we want them to be doctors and lawyers and dentists but but that's not what they wanted in the time of christ they wanted their little boys to grow up to be rabbis and so they would send them off to school where one of the first things they would do would be to memorize the torah the first five books of the bible i don't mean like a passage or scripture or two from those first five books i mean memorize the first five books of the bible okay is that sinking in with you genesis has 50 chapters okay just lay that out just one book of the bible has 50 chapters these little six and seven year olds are trying to memorize 
these, these books of the Bible in an effort to know as much as they can about God and as much as they can about the scriptures so that one day they could become the cream of the crop, so that they could rise above all the other kids in hopes that a, a rabbi would walk by someday and that they would appeal to that rabbi, that the rabbi would see them and think, oh, this one is special. This one is someone that I want to take under my wing and I want to begin to, to teach and to mentor and, and, and if you were so lucky as to have a rabbi walk up to you and say, I'm going to pick you because I think that you can eventually grow up to become and do what it is that I do every day. It would be very similar to sending your kids off to preparatory school, giving them the very best possible education. Then they go off to a, a, you know, a school like Harvard for their undergraduate degree. Then they go off to Stanford for their Master of Business Administration degree and, and, you know, in hopes that they would complete all their training and all their education so that they could be the best of the best of the best. Only the best would be elevated. Rabbis would come along, they'd look at these boys, and the boys would dream. Maybe, maybe I could become the disciple of that rabbi. Maybe he'll pick me. The rabbi would look at a young boy and ask, does this boy have the potential that it takes to follow in my footsteps, to listen to me teach every day, to watch the things that I do, to let me mentor him and disciple him, and would he have what it takes to one day grow up and do the things and know the things that I know and be able to pass those on to people? Peter did not make the cut. He wasn't good enough. You say, well, Brett, how do you know that? I know that because Peter is a fisherman. And had Peter been good enough, he would not have been a fisherman. If Peter had been good enough, a rabbi would have seen him a long time ago and said, that one's got it. That, he's got what I need to have a, a, in, a, in a young uh, disciple of mine. He's got the intellect. He's got the, the love for God. He's got the, the passion and the compassion. He's got everything that he needs to follow after me to become a grown-up to do the things that I do. And so Peter didn't make the cut. So he did what most boys did. He followed in the family trade, which in his case was fishing. Disappointed like so many others, he took up the family business. One day a rabbi named Jesus shows up and the rabbi does something that none of the other rabbis had ever done. He performs an amazing miracle. Peter's looking at the rabbi saying, oh my goodness, this rabbi is better than any other rabbi that has ever come along. And I couldn't be a follower of a lesser rabbi. Those other rabbis that came along, they looked at me and I wasn't good enough to follow them. And here's, here's like the super rabbi. This is the, this is the best rabbi that I've ever seen, that I've ever been around. There's just, <laughs> there's no way I'm gonna measure up. If I didn't measure up for the lesser ones, there's no way I'm gonna measure up for this guy. So I'm just gonna tell you right at the beginning, you just need to go away from me because I am a sinful man. That was, that was Peter's strategy. I'll just save myself the embarrassment now before you even think about me as a disciple. You just need to know, I'm sinful. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. You just need to, you just need to go away. He uses the word hamartolos. It's a Greek word, and it comes from a word that, that you probably have heard a preacher do this before when he talks about hamartia. The Greek word hamartia means to miss the mark. It's a, it's a word that, that an archer would use when he said, I draw back my bow uh, and, and I let go of it, but I hamartia, 
I missed the mark. I, I, I set my eyes on the target, and I aimed for that target, but I missed it. And when I miss it, it's called hamartia. That's the word that Peter used here. I missed the mark. I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. You're the best of the best, so surely I'm fooling myself to think for one second that I could ever be a follower of yours. If you've ever felt unworthy as a Christian, if you've ever sat in your communion time and thought to yourself, man, what in the world? Who am I fooling? I don't look any more like Jesus than you know a little bit of what Peter felt. And that is when, in verse 10, Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then you will do what Jesus did. You will do what Jesus came to do. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and that you would have it to the full. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then one of the things that becomes important for you to do is that you encourage that kind of life for people, that you try to do all you can so that people can have life to the full. Jesus said, I came not for the healthy, I came for the sick. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, then you find yourself being there for the sick. That's one of the things you want to do is you, you want to help sick people. Jesus said, you know, if it, I came not for the righteous, but I came for sinners. So if you're a, a disciple of Christ, then one of the things you find yourself wanting to do is to encourage sinful people, to, to, to come beside them, to put your arm around them and say, look, God loves you. There is a plan for you. That it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to live in this kind of environment and, and in these kind of conditions and these kind of spiritual conditions. You don't have to look at yourself every day and think to yourself, Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with me. You don't have to be that way. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. But you know what? When I listen to preachers a lot of times and I listen to Christians, there's an awful lot of condemning going on. If you're a disciple, you're going to do the three things that we talked about last week. You're going to touch lepers. You're going to befriend prostitutes and you're going to offend Pharisees. This week, a disciple also goes fishing. He fishes for men, is another way to say it. To make disciples is a, is a way we might put it. The very last thing that Jesus said before he went, uh, ascended to be with God, before he left earth and went to be with God, the very last thing that he said comes out of Matthew. Listen to this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Just a little side note for you. If you've got a pen in your hand, you may want to circle the, the phrase, make disciples. Because you might read, I've, I've heard missionaries do this before and I've, I've heard preachers do this and I've heard Sunday school classes where this has been done. And you'd read that verse and the, the, the thing that everybody wants to center their attention on is the phrase go. That that's the important thing in this verse is that you are to Go. I've heard mission talks given where, you know, the whole point of the mission talk was you, you got to go. I've heard Sunday school teachers do that. 
the fact of the matter is when you begin to break this passage down in the original language the 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 imperative in this verse the word the the phrase that stands out that jumps out that is the most important thing the thing that we are to lock on to here is the phrase make disciples that's what jesus said the last thing he said before he left you go make disciples consequently the mission statement at this church is really just that phrase said a different way bring people to jesus bring them to jesus let them spend time at the feet of jesus and they will become disciples a disciple goes fishing which raises the question who should you be discipling who should you be reaching out to in the name of jesus to disciple them to bring them to him when I say disciple, I think sometimes it, it's, I know for me, for a long time, if I heard the word disciple, and even now, if I hear it, it, it conjures up all this, you know, this deep, oh, we're going to sit around a table, and we're going to get our pens and our notebooks out, and we're going to memorize all this stuff, and it's going to be tedious and, and laborious, and, oh, you know, we're going to disciple. It just has this, this, whoa, characteristic to it, you know, just like this whole, um, is it just me or do you have that thing too when I say the word disciple if I suggest that you're going to disciple someone the first phrase, the first reaction you have is <gasps> not me I, I could never disciple somebody are you kidding me that's that's for the preacher to do that's for the you know that's for the youth pastor to do with the kids I don't I don't disciple I mean it just kind of sucks all the air out of your lungs doesn't it when someone looks at you and says are you going to disciple somebody <gasps> But what did Jesus do? I mean, not one time do you see Jesus sit down with people and say, okay, get your pens and your notebooks out. Everybody get your scriptures out. We're all going to go through this thing together. We're going to memorize this particular passage today. And it's, you know, it's 400 uh, verses long, but we expect you to have that by the end of next week. And uh, and there'll be a test and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's not how Jesus discipled people. You know how Jesus discipled people? Let's go for a walk. And he'd see a, you know, he'd see a little boy and he'd make a, an illustration based on the little boy or the children that were playing or he'd see a fig tree and he cursed it and then he made a, you know, he made a, he made a point off of what he had just done. Now, I know you can't go for a walk and curse fig trees. I know you can't do that. But you can go do life with people. My first obligation, well, before I get into that, let, let me do this. One of the things that I do uh, here is that I, I have some people that I disciple. The guys on staff, I, it's my responsibility to disciple them. It's my responsibility to spend time with them. And, and, you know, there's lots of times I don't feel any smarter than them. But the only thing I've got on them, because they're really pretty sharp, the only thing I've got on them is experience. I've got lots of years doing this. And so that's what I find is most helpful for them is, is every now and then there'll be such, such certain times, situations will say, you know, they'll say, Brett, you know, how would you handle that? How, what do you think about this? And, and it's very obvious that not often, because they don't really need me to do that for them often. But from time to time, there are situations where it, it's, it's really important for me to kind of uh, give guidance and say, okay, this is, this is how I would handle that, or this is what, what I think Scripture says about that. Um, we do that for each other. I mean, I, you know, it's not just me discipling them. They disciple me sometimes. But we'll go to lunch. I mean, you know, some people would say, do all three of the pastors need to go to lunch together? Yeah, they do. They do. Because it's very valuable for us to sit down in a, in a doing life kind of circumstance uh, 
It's very valuable. I'll tell you what, one of the things we do, and we haven't done it in a while, and we're due to do this, is a restaurant we like to eat at in Bloomington. We'll get in the car, drive to Bloomington for lunch. You say, that's just a waste of gas, and that's a waste of time. Why are you doing that? No, it's not. Because I, I get those guys in the car with me, and you would be amazed at the conversations we have for that hour, hour and a half on the way over and the great meal we have over there and then we come back. It is, it's a bonding thing and, and there's discipling. There's discipleship that happens when we do those things. It's bringing scripture into everyday life. That's really what discipleship is. Who are you discipling? Who should you be discipling? Do you have kids? If you have kids, that's the first place that you need to start. That's, that is your ultimate priority is to disciple those children. My first obligation before I ever disciple you, before I ever disciple staff, my first obligation is to disciple my three children. No one else is going to do that for me. God doesn't expect anybody else to do that. He expects me to do that. If you have kids, he expects you to disciple your kids. You say, no, that's why we hired Ryan. Let me just make it really clear right now. Ryan's job is not to disciple your kids. That's your job. His job is to help you. His job is to supplement the things that you do. His job is to give you some, some resources and some things, you know, like mission trips, CIY conferences, youth group, uh, additional Bible training and Bible education, vacation Bible school. I mean, all that kind of stuff falls under the realm of, of his responsibility. But the ultimate priority and responsibility for the discipleship of your children lies with you and lies with me. It's not Ryan's job. So how do I disciple? What do I do? I mean, how, how do I go fishing? Most people who are, are fishing for men, they use one of two kinds of bait. There are two kinds of bait that you would use when you fish for men, and most people use either one or they use the other. They don't usually marry them up very well. The, the first one is truth. The second one is grace. Jesus, you know, when you, according to John 1, when Jesus came, he came full of grace and truth. And so th those are the two baits that we would use if we're going to use that terminology as we go to disciple someone. Problem is we focus in on one of them. Uh, in the case of truth, a lot of times it sounds like this. You're a sinner and you're going to hell where the worm never dies. And there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and eternity. Boy, doesn't that just make you want to just come right to Jesus? Now that's truth. But that's not very appealing. Then there's grace, the other extreme. <laughs> it's all right. Don't worry about your sin. That's not a problem. God loves everybody. It doesn't matter what you do. I mean, sometimes you would listen to people and you would think, that's perfectly acceptable. That, you know, whatever you want to do, it's fine. I mean, I, this week I talked about, was in a staff meeting and I, I quoted Tim, Timothy Leary. How many of you remember Timothy Leary? Tune, uh, what was it? Tune in, turn on, and drop out. Isn't that what he said? Uh, sometimes, I mean, some of the lessons, I, books I've read and hear preachers sometimes, and it's like, man, I think, I think they went to the theology school of Timothy Leary. It's, it's their, their version of grace sounds an awful lot like that. 
And in fact, whenever I talk to people and I get into the grace segment of things, if I don't do a really, really good job talking about that, I'll get pushback from someone who'll say, Brett, you're making that way too easy. You're making the grace thing. Uh, you're not, you're not, you know, when I talk about grace, sometimes I think people think, oh, he, he's making this way too easy. Not trying to be. Not, not, I mean, it's, I just, what we want is we want a marriage of truth and grace. Grace and truth. Jesus wants us fishing with both. The truth is, without Jesus, you and I are in a heap of trouble. And we're in danger, we're in danger of spending an eternity without him. Because we were born with a sin nature, and if we don't take steps not really even us taking the steps the steps have been taken for us the solution to our sin problem has been given to us in jesus and without jesus we are destined for a christless eternity that is truth that's the truth you marry that with grace the grace that says god was loving you before you were even born and he has an answer for your sin. And by his love, he sent Jesus, who was without sin, to come and be the sacrificial lamb and to shed his blood for your and my own life. That's grace. And so you take truth, we're lost without him, and grace, he did it for you. And you marry those two things together and you fish with that. Listen, most people are very aware of their shortcomings. Most people, when they look at Jesus, they think, oh my goodness, I'm not anywhere near that holy. They know that. Most people really don't need anybody to tell them how sinful they are. But they do need people to tell them what to do with their sinful life, that there is a remedy for it, that there's a solution to the sin problem that we have. Truth and grace, it's, 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 it's both of them at the same time. That's how you disciple. Loving people where they are, pointing them to the truth and grace at the same time. God's calling you, if you're a disciple, to go fishing, to love others, to do what Jesus did and to lead others to him. Now, how do you do that? I mean, how do you, how do you fish in everyday life? First of all, you have to fish with an unquestioning obedience. I want you to look at verse 4 in Luke chapter 5. Look at verse 4. Unquestioning obedience. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Four words. Because you say so. Unquestioned obedience. Understand that the rabbi will ask the disciples to do things that make no sense someone hits you jesus said you turn to them the other cheek also someone curses you you pray for them someone wants your shirt you give them your coat as well that's what the rabbi said those were the things that he taught and sometimes I think the disciples heard that see here's what you need to understand I want to do a whole sermon on this one of these times this is one of my favorite teachings in all scripture when Jesus and this isn't even in my notes but I just feel like I should teach you this when Jesus was talking to the disciples and he talked to them about when someone strikes you on the right cheek 
You remember that? When, you, when someone strikes you on the right cheek, I want you to think about this. If I am right-handed and I strike you on your right cheek, what have I just done? I've backhanded you. I just backhanded you. See, it's not just the injury that accompanies that, that act. When Jesus addressed them and said, when someone strikes you on the right cheek, the minute he said that, everybody got it. I've just been backhanded. It's not just that I've been injured. I've been insulted. And Jesus said, you turn to them the, the other cheek also. See, that's... Jesus, that's hard that doesn't make any sense. That goes against everything that's in me. And you ask me to just offer the other cheek too when, when they've already insulted me. Unquestioned obedience. The disciple's gonna, the, the, the rabbi's gonna ask you to do some things that are not gonna make sense. Someone says go one mile, you go with them two miles. There's a whole other teaching behind that. I'll save that for another time. But when they heard that, that went to the core of everything that they hated about a specific group of people. And here Jesus is saying, no, you do that for them. And they, in their spirit and in their heart and their minds are thinking, no, I will not. But a disciple follows and obeys with unquestioned obedience. Four of the most powerful words in fishing for people, because you say so. I don't know if, how many of you remember this movie. I think probably everybody in America has probably seen The Karate Kid, right? Great movie, Karate Kid. As they went on, they weren't quite as good, but the first one was really good. You remember when uh, the, the boy wants to fight, he's, he's, he's wanting to learn karate, you know, he's trying to figure it all out and he goes to Mr. Miyagi and Mr. Miyagi what a great old guy he was right and and so he's going to teach this guy karate this little kid so so the, the kid's thinking he's going to learn all these cool moves and 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 I'm going to be a karate master and and so Mr. Miyagi Mr. Miyagi walks him out to the to this this bunch of cars although it just shows him one car and he says this is what I want you to do wax on wax off remember that wax on wax off you remember his reaction to that not good I, I, I came to learn karate I didn't I didn't come here to wax your cars and I remember watching that for the first time thinking that would tick me off I mean you know, all he's doing is getting a free car wash is out of the deal is really what that looks like to me. Okay, now follow me. I want you to paint on like this. And the, and the kid's thinking, this I'm getting ripped off. I mean, I'm just wasting my time. There's no reason in the world for me to do any of this stuff. He benefits. I get nothing out of this. And then one day, Mr. Miyagi says, block my punch. You remember? And then the next thing you know, this kid is ready to, you know, go into the lotus position. <laughs> Unquestioned obedience. He, he gained, he got something out of it. He didn't think he was, he didn't understand. See, that's why the rabbi is the rabbi and you and I aren't. Because rabbis were smart. They had a lot of experience, had a lot of things to teach, and this particular rabbi knew it all. So when, the, when he said to his disciples, this is what I want you to do, Peter, smart enough to know, I will follow with unquestioned 
obedience. Second thing is you follow with absolute abandonment. From now on, Peter, you're going to catch men. Verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. What do you think everything included? It included the family income, the family business, their homes, their friends, their family, their support. Did you hear Peter say, Lord, before we go, I want to find out what the 401k situation is and, and the compensation package, and uh, let's talk about salary and benefits, please. Can we do that before I really drop my nets and take off after you? Because we haven't covered any of that, and that's really pretty important, and I've got to make sure that all my business is taken care of. You don't hear Peter do that. Tracy Sutliff's going to start here March 3rd. Here's what I can tell you about as we hired Tracy. This is, I can tell you that Tracy has modeled this. Ryan has modeled this as well. Salary is one of the last things we talked about with Tracy. I mean, he was committed to coming here before he really knew what he was going to make. It was the last thing we talked about. He is so called to ministry that it really, I mean, it, you know, I learned a long time ago, I learned with my first, the first time I ever did ministry, I was fresh out of Bible college, and I remember looking at the elders that were getting ready to hire me, and I said, money's not important. I learned, don't say that, don't say that, because they treated me like money wasn't important. And I don't think anybody should, I don't think, I don't think pastors should have to do that. I just don't, I, I, and God love this church because you don't look at it that way. But that was the last thing we talked about with Tracy. It wasn't the first thing. Tracy, you know, Tracy wasn't trying to figure out, okay, are they going to take care of this, and is this going to be met, and am I going to make enough? And that was, that was not, Tracy's response to God as God put a call on his life was, yes, I'll do that. How could Peter leave everything? How did those guys leave everything they were just as real as you and me. They had hopes and dreams. They had personal goals, and yet they, they just seemed to leave it all. How did they do that? Because every one of those guys as little kids had dreamed of a time when a rabbi would come along and offer them the opportunity to be a disciple, that they would get the chance that somebody would look at them and say, you're special enough. You mean enough to me. You've got what it takes. Every one of these kids, uh, guys as children, had, had dreamed that that would happen for them. And there was no greater invitation ever, and this was a no-brainer. This was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This was the super rabbi. They'd never seen anybody like him. And he's extending an invitation to me are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And I'm going to not go because I've got some nets here and I've got some things that are of some earthly importance when I've got this guy willing to pour himself into me? That's what Jesus is inviting you toward. Not the 
I'm a good person because I go to church and you know it's all warm and fuzzy. That's not what Jesus invites you to. It's not what he invites me to. He invites us to, I want to let everything go because I am a disciple, a follower, a student. And I want to follow my Lord, my rock, my master, my salvation, my strength, my shield, my fortress. I want to follow him. You can't be my disciple unless you carry your cross. I told you this last week, but whenever someone in the time of Christ saw someone else carrying a cross, and if you were condemned to die on a cross, most of the time you carried your own cross. And people knew whenever they saw someone walk by and they were carrying a cross, they, they would have said in some form or other, they would have said, basically what they were saying was, there goes a dead man walking. He's about to die. You want to be a disciple? That's what people would say about you. There goes a dead man walking. There goes a dead woman walking. They're carrying their cross. And they're right behind Jesus. You're dead to all those other things that you used to pursue because they just don't matter like they used to compared to following him. When you, when you really start to fix your eyes on Jesus, a whole lot of other stuff just doesn't matter all that much. I'm going to read this verse, let this sink in, and then we'll close. This is John 14, verse 12. <clears throat> i tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. You cannot be his disciple unless you take up a cross and follow him. A disciple goes fishing. A disciple makes disciples. A disciple leaves everything behind to go and follow and be like the rabbi. That's the invitation. That's that's what's extended to everybody, uh, especially if you have never given your life to Christ. You know, I don't extend you an invitation to come just kind of you know, maybe I'll follow Jesus today if I feel like it and it looks good. I, you know, if I'm going to get something out of it. That's not the invitation. The invitation is, do, are you willing to die to yourself to follow the great rabbi? Are you willing to leave your nets on the shore? And are you willing to say, I love him more than I love anything else in my life. I love him more than, than wife and kids. I love him more than mom and dad. I love him more than brothers and sisters. I love him more than my job. I love him more than my hobbies. I love him more than my car or my house or my boat. And I will follow him first. That's the invitation. If you've never said yes to Christ, I realize that you'd hear that and think, who wants to follow that? I can tell you that the rabbi is a good rabbi. And I can tell you that when you do that, you have a fullness of life that you never dreamed possible. And the only way you're going to know it is to do it. I, you know, it's taste and see that the Lord is good. I can't, I, I can't you, you just have to do it. And so if you've never given your life to Christ, in a moment we're going to stand and sing and you'd have the opportunity to do that. Let's pray together as a family. Father, we, because we live in America and because um, we, have, we have made it an art form, 
to make things easy. America really is synonymous with convenient and easy. Um, we get our meals in two minutes. We, you know, we get abs in a five-minute workout. We, everything's easy, and we don't like anything that's not. And so, Father, it's real tempting to look at you and to think, well, I'm just going to be an easy Christian. I'm going to be one of that 85% who's nice and goes to church and doesn't cuss all that much. But, Lord, when we talk about this disciple thing, we talk about leaving our nets and we talk about the potential for what it would cost us to follow you, then that's a whole nother realm and that gets kind of scary. Father, we can't do this stuff by ourselves. There is no way. We, we don't have it in us. We, we need your help to follow you. It's, we're, we're, there's nothing autonomous about us at all. We're completely dependent on you. We know that. So this morning, as we have considered what it is to be a disciple, Lord, I pray that, that somewhere in our spirit and in our gut, we, we have stumbled onto this place where we say, I want to be that. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Calling ourselves a Christian is so easy. Calling ourselves a disciple, that's a whole nother thing. Father, for those of us in the room who are willing to do that, would you just draw us near? Show us the way. Encourage us illumine our path God we love you it's in Jesus name we pray Amen Thanks for visiting we hope you've been encouraged please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com